Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. And Dr. Chan, good to see you again today. How are you today in this fine day? Dr. McDonald, I'm doing well. Lots going on in the pandemic world. Yeah, it's funny. The pandemic doesn't seem to ever take a moment off. I've kind of noticed that. Say what you want about SARS-CoV-2, but it certainly seems like it's the energizer bunny of running my life. Um, but I haven't gotten a break uh, today at all. It's just been another one of those typical pandemic days. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you. It's been crazy. Excited, of course, the vaccines are here. And I will say I'm excited today to have Dr. Justin Burke join us on behalf of the uh, Rhode Island ACI. He is medical director there. Um, I've known uh, Dr. Burke for a while. Uh, he's relatively new to the position, um, but was thrilled that he accepted. And I think it's a big boom uh, for the ACI and the correctional system. But uh, Dr. Burke, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks so much. I'm very happy to join uh, both of you. Uh, a huge fan of the provider calls every week that uh, the Department of Health does. And it's very exciting to recognize your voice um, and see them in person during this video. I'm Dr. Justin Burke. As you mentioned, I'm relatively new medical director over at the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. I am also a primary care doctor through um, Brown and through Lifespan Physicians Group, where I do some teaching for medical students and residents, have a lot of interest in primary care, addiction medicine, and then, of course, correctional health. Yeah, so if, I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. And, you know, not everybody works at the Adult Correctional Institute, so it's really, you know, it, it's great. To, one of the things I think it's really fun about Rhode Island in particular is we're such a small state, it's kind of easy for us to reach out to people and just say, hey, here's the medical director. Let's have a chat about just you know, life in general at a correctional institute. And I guess I'm curious, what drew you to working at a correctional institute as a physician there? Because not everybody does that. What, what drew you to that work? Absolutely. Correctional medicine is a very unique field within internal medicine. And I think the people that find themselves in correctional medicine very much do want to serve an underserved population. We have access to individuals that are often otherwise marginalized in the general community. This is a great place where you can feel like you're doing good work uh, to really help people that are frankly often overlooked by society. And in this new role, I've been given the opportunity to uh, do that type of work and it's been very exciting so far. Yeah, I think one thing, uh, you know, we're serving the time of vaccination here. I think one thing that we just wanted to throw out uh, to you, and I think you've been in the thick of it, is that public sentiment around vaccination, um, especially incarcerated individuals, has not been uh, great. Many individuals to us here at the Rhode Island Department of Health have expressed their frustration at not being able to get vaccinated across the state, members of the general public, et cetera. And of course, we understand that supply has been one of the biggest limiting issues about these vaccines. Um, and we made the decision uh, here at the Rhode Island Department of Health to provide the correctional setting um, uh, with vaccines, you know, it's a congregate living setting. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the folks are at, are at higher risk of getting COVID uh, and potentially dying. Uh, but Dr. Burke, what are your thoughts about vaccinations, uh, COVID vaccinations within the correctional setting? Absolutely. This is obviously a controversial issue in that a lot of people are very scared of COVID, of the pandemic, and very much want to have access to a vaccine and you know, want to be protected in a, in a pandemic where they've seen some of the morbidity and some of the effects that it can have. The, there's three, I think, major reasons uh, or arguments that can be made for why vaccinating for incarcerated individuals is so important and such a very smart public health strategy. 
And we can talk about each a little individually, but one is, as you mentioned, it's a high risk for high morbidity status. It's a congregate care setting, just like nursing homes where we've seen other outbreaks. Um, individuals are at high risk of getting the infection. There is a lot of science behind why the public health strategy for incarcerated individuals can actually help prevent the spread to the community. And then finally, there's a, a health equity component of why the vaccine distribution should, should affect this population. And so I can kind of go through one by one at a time, if that's easiest, this, um, because I think they are all arguments that resonate with, with different people. Incarcerated individuals have a high risk of morbidity because of the congregate setting. And there's just been science that have shown anyone who's incarcerated has about a 5.5 times higher likelihood of getting infected and about a three times higher likelihood of dying from COVID infection. So this is a high risk community uh, because it's a long-term, uh, because of congregate care setting and because of being incarcerated in, individually. We've seen how quickly that COVID can spread through a facility here at our own ACI earlier this year, but also across correctional facilities nationwide in Ohio and Michigan and California. All jails and prisons are having major issues with containing the spread of COVID. And that's why if you go to the New York Times and look at the top 50 cluster sites over 40 are consistently jails and prisons. These are the epicenters of infection. With the heavy burden of the disease here at a long-term, at a congregate care setting, with the long-term burden here at a congregate care setting, it brings us to number two, which is, this is a public health strategy. With jails and prisons being the epicenter, people are coming in and out. No jail is an island. Um, individuals are incarcerated and released, but we also have people coming in, correctional officers, social workers, physicians, dentists, lawyers, who come into a facility that's high risk and then go home to their families. They go home to their community. No jail is an island that's completely protected off from the community. And we've seen in other states where early in the first wave, Cook County Hospital was responsible for 16% of the cases in the entire state of Illinois. So these are incubators of disease. I'd also say, you know, third, the health equity component. Rhode Island has made a very clear message that it's important to uh, reinforce health equity in the vaccine allocation and distribution. And unfortunately, you know, COVID affects uh, BIPOC communities, marginalized communities often. They have higher prevalence. They have worse uh, disease uh, severity. And mass incarceration also affects these communities. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, racial disparities are in the correctional legal system, the criminal legal system. And so our almost 30% of individuals here are, are black, 25% are Hispanic. In trying to get these to the um, populations that are often overlooked, uh, you know, bringing them here to the, to the jail and prison is a, is a way to ensure that populations that are otherwise disenfranchised are having equal access to life-saving vaccination. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Burke. That, that is great. I think you've given a nice, you really description about why it's important to vaccinate folks in a correctional facility. But vaccination is just one part of prevention in a correctional facility. And when I think about the Adult Correctional Institute in Rhode Island as part of the Department of Corrections, I know there's a more broad prevention strategy there. So and I'm just curious, though, what is prevention for COVID like in your correctional facility? Sure. I think there's a lot of unique challenges in trying to prevent an epidemic in this type of facility. I'll start by saying that every facility is different. Even within ACI, we have the intake facility, which is much more similar to a jail where people are coming in and going. We have the medium security facility, which is our largest sentence population. 
we also have the maximum security uh, facility, which made a lot of news early on when the pandemic spread very quickly through this building that was built before the great flu epidemic in the early 1900s. Um, so it has now seen two major pandemics affect uh, the, um, the population. It's a very old building and the maximum security facility and jails in general are not built or designed to prevent the outbreak of a pandemic. And so there's a lot of unique challenges. That being said, a lot of the principles that the Department of Health puts forward to the community, we can try to apply to our population. So we cohort, um, groups are uh, limited, Indiv individuals are brought into small groups and so that they're only uh, interacting with small uh, groups of usually 12 or fewer. We have um, single cells uh, as much as possible, again, to try to prevent a lot of, uh, try to encourage physical and social distancing. Um, we do surveillance testing. For most facilities, it's weekly, where we're testing uh, every week to see if anyone has not just symptomatic, but asymptomatic infection, so we can uh, implement our quarantine and isolation protocols to keep everyone safe. Everyone is given multiple masks to wear to prevent infection. Mask wearing, clearly one of the highest evidence-based strategies for preventing an infection, so all staff and um, incarcerated individuals have multiple masks that they can wear, surgical masks, and even KN95s. We have food and medicine delivery directly to the cells rather than having everyone congregate in um, the dining halls, essentially. We have increased surface area cleaning. We have people coming in cleaning more frequently. We have um, bleach at every self, uh, at every uh, phone bank, um, so that after someone uses a phone, they can clean it. Um, we've assessed our ventilation. We've had to restrict visitation, um, but we really just do everything that the Department of Health really, you know, emphasizes as far as decreased uh, exposures to individuals, mask wearing, um, and following quarantine and isolation protocols. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Brooke. And I just want to give a shout out, uh, you know, to your leadership, to the team uh, within the correctional setting. I mean, I think you all have done a great job. Uh, to minimize uh, morbidity, mortality, case rates. I think, you know, if you've, to your initial point, one of your initial points uh, is that in so many other settings around the country, there's really been extensive sustained outbreaks of COVID-19 uh, within the correctional setting that, as you mentioned, has really fueled um, some of the transmission in the local community. So, you know, there's definitely been some outbreaks uh, in our local uh, Rhode Island uh, Adult Correctional Institute, ACI, but I think that for the most part, um, they've been controlled. Uh, and as you've just discussed, really have implemented some robust and effective prevention measures. So just wanna thank you and your staff there for all the work that you do. One other thing that's come up too, I think, is uh, this this treatment, this monoclonal antibody treatment. And just for listeners who may not be quite up to date on that, it's the only outpatient, uh, effective outpatient treatment for COVID-19. It's administered as a IV infusion. It's really meant, it's, you know, I love your, your words, Dr. McDonald, you describe it as an instant immune system, which is what it is. And it's meant for people with mild to moderate disease um, but to prevent them from getting really sick and having to go to the hospital. And I Dr. Burke, tell us about your experience with monoclonal antibody treatments uh, in the correctional setting. I think monoclonal antibody therapy is, you know, one other strategy to really address this pandemic. And in similar to how we've implemented different strategies and vaccines, you know, this has all been in partnership with the Department of Health and other stakeholders, and it's been a team effort. Uh, I'm grateful that we are we have access to monoclonal antibody therapy. Um, we have outstanding nurses who are able to um, 
provide the IV infusion to incarcerated individuals, and we have the infrastructure to, to make this happen. There's clear clinical evidence that this can be a way to prevent hospitalizations and really uh, prevent severe disease from occurring. And as you mentioned, it's the only real outpatient treatment that we currently have. Um, it works in individuals who are at high risk for severe infection. And sure enough, people incarcerated, we have plenty of people that are high risk based on age or other comorbidities. And so we have a constant screening protocol where we identify people who are symptomatic and who are eligible. And I'm very proud to say that we have administered monoclonal antibody therapy um, here at the ACI successfully. Uh, it, uh, the individual did not ultimately become hospitalized, so we could say that it worked in our N of one. Um, but we have the infrastructure to continue providing this treatment um, to anyone who meets eligibility because of risk factors. And we have outstanding healthcare nursing staff who are able to administer uh, you know, this IV infusion um, in our facility. It's been a huge success, and I, I, we're grateful to be able to offer this to our patients. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Burke. That's, that's good to know, too. And I think so one of the things I kind of wonder about as we think more globally about the pandemic, you know, maybe getting a little retrospective scope on, if that's now a word there, is, you know, I always wonder what we could do differently. And like one of the things I think about, like if I could go back a year from now, I think I wished we would have been more telling people about wearing masks, but we just didn't quite know that that was the right thing to go. And I, when I think about mask wearing, that's probably one of the most effective things we can do. And I think the only thing I think about, right, that we could do differently right now is getting people to wear high quality masks. Like one of the things I think it's important for the public now is look for a KN95 or even a KF94 mask, something that was higher quality. So those are things that I think we could have done differently and things I want to do differently in the future. And I, you know, I know you've been in your position just not very long, but I just think, is there something you say, you know, I've, in retrospect, I wish we had done this differently, or is there something you wish like, you know, I've learned this and now I want to do it differently. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I'll say one of the learning experiences, I think, as we go through this in the unique setting of a correctional facility is this tension between relaxing restrictions and tightening restrictions. You know, as part of preventing transmission, we do have to restrict visitation. We do have to restrict some of the programming and finding the perfect balance of ensuring our population has things to do, has access to this wonderful programming that the Department of Corrections has has been a, a challenge and we've uh, attempted to relax some of the restrictions and we see our cases come up a little bit that week and so have to go back down. And it's a fine balance that I think is a continuing learning process, but I'm happy to say there are a lot of people here who are working very hard to make sure that we're doing the best by our patients and individuals that we have a responsibility to and by ensuring that we're doing everything to keep them safe and slowly work on this path back to normalcy uh, as best we can. And I think and hope that the vaccine is going to be a giant step towards that path. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Burke. I think you hit one of the nails on the head. You know, it's it's similar to what we're dealing with on the statewide level, right? Where it's, you know, this balance of restricting everything, stay at home, uh, et cetera, versus allowing, you know, businesses uh, to open, you know, obviously people's livelihoods are at stake here. So it's been this delicate balance that we tried to thread. I'm not sure there's any easy answers and it's it's tough to make everyone happy. And it's, uh, I think it's just challenging for everyone. And it sounds like that's uh, some of the similar um, similar lessons in, uh, in the correctional setting. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I also want to ask you, I think moving forward, what do you see as some of the biggest threats um, to, the, to, to the ACI, the correctional setting um, in terms of the pandemic moving forward to the future here? 
think the biggest threats to our facility are some of the biggest threats that affect the community as well. The rates in the community very much um, are, the rates in the correctional facilities very much mirror rates in the community. And so with the onset of new variants, um, is this going to you know, drastically affect the rate of transmission in our facility? Is it gonna decrease the efficacy of vaccines? So I would say that the new variants are one things that I you know, definitely keep me up at night that make me worried about the, the future of the facility. And I think in the community as well, because we mirror some of the rates in the community, uh, pandemic fatigue is a real thing. And I think as soon as we very much feel like we are back to normalcy, if some of these tools that we know prevent infection are relaxed, we might anticipate numbers going up. And as numbers go up in the community, we expect numbers to come up in the ACI. And it can, you know, once it's in the facility, it can spread like wildfire. And we've seen that in the past. And so I think those are things that uh, make me worry that we we you know, are too quick to take a deep breath and relax. And um, uh, you know, I wanna make sure that now that our numbers are down, which is wonderful, our vaccine numbers are up, which is wonderful, but I also wanna to look to the future and figure out how can we build an infrastructure so that numbers go up again, we're doing best in protecting everyone to the best of our ability. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Burke. That's a really good point to draw some to a close in our time together. One of the things I'm you know, kind of thinking about as well as I, I do worry about the variant. I think it's the wild card in the pandemic. And it's one of those things where, whether we're talking about the United Kingdom variant, the South African variant, or the one from Brazil, what a variant means is we've got a new threat to the state and, and limited data on vaccine effectiveness. We'll have to wait and see what that looks like. But obviously it's in everyone's interest to prevent the spread of COVID, which is really why I get back to, I think one of the smartest things we can do is get a high quality mask for ourselves. In other words, get a KN94 or excuse me, a KN95 or a KF94, some high quality mask and get your masking to be better um, as a member of the general public. And then, you know, kind of limit where you're going right now. Um, it's been a long pandemic, but I think we need to seize the opportunity right now. Some people say we're in the eye of the hurricane. And I think there's some truth to that. And I think if we can keep those numbers as low as possible, you know, it's, it's possible we can actually get ahead of this thing. And then if a variant does come to our state, we have to prevent it from getting a foothold. And that's where the high quality masks, I think can make the biggest difference. It's been fun having you chat today. I've learned a lot about medicine in the adult correctional facility. And it's been interesting to hear some of the strategies that are going on as you know, you're navigating through this pandemic as well as the rest of us are. And it, it's been nice to just learn so much about what goes on as we all work together to really prevent the pandemic uh, from overcoming us in Rhode Island here. Dr. Chan, it, it's always good to have you give us that final word. What's the final word for today? Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you, Dr. Burke, again, for all your work and the work of your staff in the correctional setting. It's much appreciated and really uh, working to end the pandemic. In closing, I want to leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Jose Garcia, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Thank you so much for listening to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public.